0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, starting with verse 34. And uh, we're continuing our uh, series on um, the kings of Israel. And where we last left off, Samuel begrudgingly gave Israel a king. He anointed Saul, and, uh, and God chose Saul to be the king. Well, Saul doesn't quite work out. He isn't obedient to the Lord, and uh, his kingship um, is uh, is thrown into disarray because of that. And so we pick up with Samuel this morning. Uh, uh, God has rejected Saul as king, and so Samuel is, is going in search of another king to anoint as king over Israel. And so um, we begin... 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, starting with verse 34. Hear now the word of our Lord. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Aminadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the Word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I remember like it was yesterday. I was 19 years old and uh, working at my first church as the part-time youth and children's minister at uh, First United Methodist Church in Barberville, Kentucky. And the church had fallen on hard times. You see, they just had their uh, pastor removed, and they were waiting for an interim to be appointed. And the pastor, um, during his rocky Tenure there had managed to drive off a lot of the people of the church. And as a result of that, funds were running low. And so we were sitting around the table in a board meeting, and we were trying to figure out what we were going to do to get people to come back and be interested in the church again. And one of the ideas that was bat- batting around was having a revival. The only problem was because our coffers were low, uh, we didn't have the money to spend on a fancy evangelist or a band, and so we were just uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do um, about this revival. And I'll never forget it. Uh, the, the chair of the board, a man named Bob, uh, looked around and said, Man, if only we knew someone who could preach. And then someone else spoke up and said, yeah, I just, we don't really have anyone in the congregation that has uh, has that gifting to preach. And then a third person uh, mentioned my predecessor, the charismatic young man that had uh, had my job before me, and said, gosh, if only Jeff were still here. He was a really good preacher. Now, I sat in that room feeling invisible and discounted. Mind you, I had never preached a day in my life. And if you asked me if I could preach, I probably would have said no. But it would have been nice to be asked, right? I felt invisible and discounted. See, there was, there was a void that needed to be filled and I had a call on my life, I didn't even know about it yet. I, I, had, I had a gifting that no one in that room saw, let alone myself. To be grandiose about it, Israel needed a king. And I was out in the pasture, out in the field, tending the sheep. That's where we find David this morning, isn't it? There's a void in the leadership of Israel that someone needs to step into. Israel needs a king. And David is the man to do it. But he's nowhere to be found. He's out in the field, sitting on his rock, playing his lyre, tending the sheep. See, Bethlehem is a small town, but it's not populated by idiots. Okay, uh, Samuel had just had a big falling out with Saul, a big public, messy falling out, and everyone knew Samuel was shopping for a new king. And so when he uh, shows up at the town gate with uh, with the with the goat around his neck and his horn full of anointing oil, and he says, "I'm here to make a sacrifice." The elders know what's up. They see that that horn full of anointing oil, and, and, and they can put two and two together. And they have to be thinking, things could really change for Bethlehem if a king is chosen from among our young men. That could really put Bethlehem on the map. And so Samuel tells the elders, go consecrate yourselves and come to my sacrifice. And so they're telling all of the young men in the town, go home, get consecrated, get extra consecrated, and then consecrate yourselves again. We have a big night. Samuel, none other than than the great uh, former judge of Israel, is here, and he's got his anointing horn and you want to make sure you've got your best clothes on and you're extra clean for this sacrifice. So picture David. He's out in the field. Surely among the shepherds, um, work has gotten around, right? Because there are other shepherds in that field. How many fields can Bethlehem have, by the way? It's such a small town, it's probably the same field that 1,500 years later, there'd be this, this, this big announcement by all of the angels that there's a new king in town. This announcement is a little more on the DL, right? Well, one by one, Shepherd, uh, Shepherd David watches as his young friends are called out of the field. Knock off early, Come home, get consecrated. There's a sacrifice tonight. So he probably watches one by one as these young shepherd men are called from the field. And here it is, closing time, and David's not been called yet. Picture him there, singing on his rock. Uh, he's, He's soaked with sweat, he smells like grass. He's letting the sheep eat one last time before he takes them back to the pen. And he's sitting on his rock, and he's playing his lyre. See, Israel needs a king. David's the man to do it. Yet he feels invisible and discounted. Lost my train of thought. So, uh, so David's feeling invisible and discounted. That didn't help. So, don't we, don't we often feel invisible and discounted too? Don't we often feel like we've got this gift, this thing to contribute to the world? Like there's this void that we're meant to step into, and yet no one seems to recognize our gift, or our talent. Maybe you feel that way at work. Maybe there's this, this, this promotion that always seems to pass you by, and you know that you've, you've got the gifting, you know that you've, you, you've got, got the experience, that you could step into that void, and that you could do a really good job, and yet you always seem to be left in a field, sitting on your rock, playing your lyre waiting for someone to recognize in you what you know is in yourself. Maybe it's a position in the church. There's a void that that you need to, you see a ministry that needs to happen here, and you're waiting for somebody to ask you, waiting for somebody to ask your opinion. And so you're sitting on a rock with your liar, waiting to be called out, of the field. I wonder how many Davids are sitting here right now just just waiting to be called out of the field that has a gift to offer the world. Uh, maybe maybe no one sees it in you. Maybe you don't even quite see it in yourself yet. But but there's something inside of you that says there's a void and I need to fill it. I love what Henry Nouwen says about our calling. He says our calling Is that place where our greatest passion and the world's deepest hunger meet. Where our greatest passion and the world's deepest hunger meet. That is the place that we are called to. I wonder if there's there's some of us that still feel like we're in the field, that, that we still haven't quite found the void that we are called to step into. That that know that God must have an anointing for us and a purpose for us and a call for us, and we haven't quite figured out what it is yet. And so we're sitting on a rock playing our lyre, waiting to be called. Some of us know we're called, but we're waiting for someone to ask. We've got um we've got that pink Cadillac fantasy going on. And here's what I mean. It's like, it's like every every movie about a band, you know, a rock and roll band that that, that, that comes from out of nowhere and, and is successful overnight. It all starts the same way. The band is is singing in their garage and they're playing their music, and then a pink Cadillac shows up, right? And it's the big record exec with, with his cowboy hat and, and his white handlebar mustache. And he's like, I heard you boys playing up the road. And, and, and you got, you got a sound that's going to change the world. Come with me and I'll get you signed up. And they become rock stars overnight. Some of us, some of us have that fantasy We're sitting playing music in our garage, and we're waiting for someone to pull up and recognize what it is that we have to contribute. But maybe some of us need to get off our rocks, drop our liars, and come out of the field and say, here I am, use me. I think some of us are Davids here this morning. I think some of us are Samuels. See, Samuel maybe, it says in the, in the beginning of, of uh, our scripture that he's grieving. I think part of it is, see, Samuel was the judge of Israel. He was the last great judge of Israel. He was God's chosen leader for Israel. And the void that he is called to fill is the void that he's leaving behind. Right? Right? First, first he uh, he anointed Saul to fill this void that he was leaving behind, and then Saul didn't work out. So now he's grieving. Saul's not working out. No one wants me to be a leaguer anymore. Well, I'm just going to take my tiggly winks and go home, right? And God tells Samuel, "Take up your horn of anointing oil." go to Bethlehem, go to Jesse's house, and anoint the next king. See, Samuel has to be willing to take up his anointing horn, and he has to be willing to go find who God is going to use next. Samuel has to be willing to, to, go, to, to go scout for the person who's going to be his replacement. And some of us need to be willing to do the same. And that's going to require us learning to see people with God's eyes. Because you see, God doesn't look at at the things that people look at. God looks at the heart. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the inward heart. People looked at David and all they saw was David's problems. And he had plenty of them. He had sin problems that we'll get to, right? But but he also, he was too short to be king. He was too young to be king. He really, he was the sensitive, harp-playing, music writing type. Not the sword-wielding, out-in-front-of-the-brigade type. Right? But God sees past our problems and He sees our promise. All through the Bible, think of times that God did this, that He looked past people's problems and saw their promise. Think about Sarah right? She, she, she's this old lady was never able to, to, to have children, and she's told that she's going to be the mother of nations. How does she react? She laughs. <laughs> me, me. But God saw past Sarah's problems and saw her promise. We, we, we spent last year talking about Moses. Moses had a lot of problems, Right? Uh, not the least of which he was a murderer, right? And, and he, ran away from, he ran away from his problems rather than facing them. He had a stutter. And yet God looked past those problems and saw the person that was going to stand up to Pharaoh, the person that was going to speak the law to Israel, the person that was going to deliver the captives. Think of, of Jeremiah, too young to be a prophet, God sees past the problems and sees the promise in his heart. Think of Mary from Magdalene. She's literally got demons. She's a prostitute. And God looks at Mary and sees the first witness to the resurrection. Think of Peter. Dumb old illiterate fisherman Peter. God sees the rock on which he will build his church. Or Saul, the man who, who held everyone's coats while, while Stephen was stoned, who, who was so fixated on his own very strict interpretation of his religion that, that he, was, he was willing to, to, to persecute the church. God looked past those problems and saw the one who would be the apostle to the Gentiles. God sees past our problems and sees our heart. And some of us are called to start doing the same, to take up our anointing horn and start looking at people the way God sees them, not with their outward appearance, not their outward problems, but but seeing what, what it is that's inside of them, that seed of promise that God is waiting to use and to bring forth. A new generation of leadership. There are people who are David sitting on the rock with their liars, that need to be mentored, that need, that need us to take them under our, our wing and, 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 and show them what they can do and what they can be. That's why I love having Keegan and Brooke preach to us when I can't be here. Because I see a calling and a promise in their lives, and I want to give them every opportunity to use that. There are people in our church that that need to be encouraged and empowered and equipped to do God's work in the world, that need people who come alongside them and see something in them that they may not even see in themselves, to say, I believe you can do this. I believe you are called to this. Get up off your rock. Come out of the field and receive God's anointing. I'm standing here 15 years later after that, that church committee meeting not because I realized I had a gift to preach but because someone saw it in me. It was three or four years later I was working at a different church for this man named Charlie Douglas. Now, I love Charlie. Um, Charlie, it was like when I close my eyes and, and think of the great mentors in my life, Charlie comes up first. He was this grizzled old um, ex-military guy that needed just everything just so-so. And every time I talk to someone who's worked for Charlie, I say, wasn't it so great to work for Charlie? And they just look at me sideways. <laughs> like everyone I know who's ever worked for Charlie has wound up... T- tired or fired, right? And and they'll just go, you know, Charlie was a real SOB, studier of the Bible, right? <laughs> and, uh, but my experience of Charlie was so different because Charlie took me under his wing. And Charlie said, I'm going to make a preacher out of you. And Charlie gave me my first opportunity to preach. Now, I wish I could say I went out and I slayed Goliath on my first outing, but that is not what happened. I studied and studied and got ready for that sermon, and it was 30, 40 minutes of everything I had ever learned. And uh, at, at the end, I was, I was standing out and, and shaking people's hands as they left, and they just kind of had their head bowed, and then that that was something. And... <laughs> I remember we had this one lady in our congregation who was schizophrenic. And she came through and she shook my hand and said, that is the best sermon that has ever been preached in this church. And uh, I remember thinking, I don't know what sermon you experienced, but it was different (laughs) than the rest of us, right? I show up on Monday morning and Charlie says, I'm not going to lie to you, that was a stinker here's what we're going to do next month. And started talking about my sermon next month. And, and then, then he gave me a month after that and a month after that. Because he saw something in me. He saw something that no one else saw in me. He saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself yet. See, I was a David singing on a rock that needed a Samuel to come with his anointing horn and to bless me, and to tell me how God was going to use me. And I believe in this church, we've got some people that are sitting on the rocks, and, and they need to be called out. We've also got some people, maybe they need to let go. Not let go entirely yet, but start training. Training. Start equipping, start empowering, start blessing. Saying, I'm not going to be here forever and I, I want you to take my place and this is how you're going to do it. And here's what it's going to look like. Some of us need to let go of our liars and come out of the field. And some of us need to take up that anointing horn and bless the next generation